0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, The nominations hearing of the Foreign Relations Committee will come to order. I'm very pleased to be joined uh, by the ranking member uh, for today's hearing, uh, Senator Ricketts, uh, and pleased to serve with him on on this committee. Uh, Congratulations to all four of you uh, on your nominations uh, to be our ambassadors uh, to different and important countries uh, around the world. Congratulations to your families and loved ones. Uh, As someone who grew up in a Foreign Service family, I know this requires uh, the support of uh, other members of of the family and friends. Uh, All of you have distinguished records uh, within the career Foreign Service. Uh, I'm looking forward to today's um, hearing. Uh, Your nominations are to countries in different parts of the world as you know, from East Asia to South America to Europe, Uh, so we're gonna try and cover a lot of territory. In the interest of time, and we don't have a lot of time uh, this morning, I'm gonna forego any opening remarks about each of the countries uh, to which you've been uh, nominated to be ambassadors. Uh, I do look forward to um, using that time during the question. Uh, period. And of course, I will introduce each of you fully in a moment. Uh, Let me now turn it over to Senator Ricketts for any opening comments uh, he may have.
1: Great. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, I appreciate the brevity of your opening remarks, and I will match it. (laughs) So uh, I just, again, want to congratulate all the nominees on this opportunity, and thank you very much for your previous service to our country and your willingness to be able to serve this as well. And I would also like to uh, echo the chairman's remarks with regard to your families. I know that uh, you all have uh, uh, loved ones who support you and you would not be able to do this without that. So we appreciate the sacrifices your family make as well. As governor, I had the opportunity to do a number of trade missions around the world and visit with embassy staff. And I was always impressed by the quality of the people and the sacrifices they were willing to make for us. So I just wanted to add my thanks to that as well. and. With that, Mr. Chairman, I'm going to turn back over to you and get started. Thank you, Senator. Okay. Uh,
0: thank you. Um, and again, congratulations to all of you. So let me introduce each of our uh, nominees uh, to uh, the committee, uh, and then we'll begin uh, with um, the statements from uh, each of you. Uh, we have here today uh, Ms. Nicole uh, Terrio, who is the current U.S. Consul General in Karachi, Pakistan. Uh, In her over two decades of experience experience representing the United States, uh, Ms. Theriault has also served as the Deputy Chief of Mission and Chargé d'affaires at the U.S. Embassy in Port-au-Prince, Haiti, uh, the Director for Immigration and Visa Security at the U.S. National Security Council, and U.S. Consul General in Casablanca, Morocco, among many other assignments uh, that have earned her numerous State Department awards. Ms. Marie Yastashak serves as the USAID Senior Deputy Assistant Administrator for Asia. uh, And before her current role, she served as USAID's Mission Director in Vietnam, a country to which I will be heading next week as part of uh, an official congressional uh, delegation. Uh, In 2021, uh, she came home from that overseas uh, assignment to expedite the transition of the Biden-Harris Administration as Chief Advisor to the Acting Administration and Chief Operations Officer for USAID. Ms. Yastashok's service was invaluable in jumpstarting USAID's operations internationally and bringing back the United States as a force for service in the world. Congratulations to you. Mr. David Kostelanchik, he currently serves as the foreign policy advisor to the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Milley. Uh, he has held posts across East, Eastern Europe and the Balkans, including Deputy Chief of Mission and Chargé d'Affaires at the U.S. Embassy in Budapest, Hungary. Also as Director of the Office of South Central European Affairs and Director of the Office of Russian Affairs, both in the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs. Uh, congratulations to you. Finally, um, Ms. Robin Dunnigan is the Deputy Assistant Secretary overseeing Central and Eastern Europe for the Bureau of European and Eurasian Affairs. She has also served as charge d'affaires and Deputy Chief of Mission of the U.S. Embassy in Austria and Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Department of State's Bureau of Energy Resources. She first joined the State Department in 1992 and her three dec- decades of experience are complemented by her master's degrees in national security strategy from the National War College and the Foreign Service uh, Institute at Georgetown University. Um, congratulations. Congratulations again to all of you. Uh, why don't I now uh, turn it over, uh, we'll just go down the dais uh, in order. Um, I, I chair the East Asia Subcommittee. We will start with um, uh, Ms. Terrier.
2: Good morning. Thank you so much, uh, Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member Ricketts. I am honored to appear before you today as President Biden's nominee to be the next US ambassador to the Cooperative Republic of Guyana. I am grateful for the confidence the President and Secretary Blinken have placed in me, and I'm thankful to you for considering my nomination. If confirmed, I will work closely with you and all members of Congress to advance our national interests in Guyana and the broader Caribbean. Over the past 24 years, I have been privileged to represent the United States in 10 countries on four continents. Any success I have had is due to the support of my family, so I would like to take this opportunity to thank them. My spouse, Tom Agnew, my father, Preston Terry Terrio my mother, Brenda Foti Terrio, who passed away in September, and my sister, Tiffany Terrio, for their steadfast support and unstinting love. And I actually learned of my nomination two days after my mom passed away, so I am quite sure she had something to do with it. (laughs) Two of my previous assignments have been in the Caribbean, Haiti and Barbados, and others have been in countries with incredible potential for economic growth. So I'm familiar with both the challenges and opportunities in Guyana. I have worked on programs dealing with increasing bilateral trade and investment, strengthening security, combating trafficking, increasing sustainable energy and climate resilience, and countering corruption, all while enhancing critical people-to-people ties that give us an important advantage over others operating in the region, including the PRC. Given my service in the Caribbean and in countries ripe for economic advancement, such as Morocco and Pakistan, I am particularly honored to be considered for this important position. Guyana is experiencing rapid transformation and has tremendous potential, but it also faces challenges, including climate change, crime, poverty, and corruption. If confirmed, I will work with the Guyanese government and people to address these challenges and proudly champion U.S. values in an ethnically, religiously diverse Guyana. I will work with the government to continue responsibly leveraging the country's newfound oil revenues to expand economic opportunities, develop reliable infrastructure, and increase social services. I will work to grow trade and investment and to promote the many exciting opportunities for US companies. I will support the Guyanese in building upon gains in democratic governance and will help them continue to address humanely the influx of Venezuelan and other migrants. A secure, democratic, and prosperous Guyana will remain an important US ally in the region. As Secretary Blinken's representative to CARICOM, I will work with regional partners, especially through the new U.S.-Caribbean partnership to address the climate crisis, our PAC 2030, as well as on regional security, human rights, and food and energy security. I sincerely thank you for this opportunity and look forward to your questions.
0: Uh, thank, you, thank you very much uh, for that statement. and. Um, I, I apologize for the confusion. You, of course, have been the nominee to Guyana. I had my order mixed up here. <laughs> no
2: worries. Um,
0: now to, uh, now to uh, East Asia um, and to our nominee to Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and Vanuatu, uh, uh, Ms. Um, Ms. Yastashak. Please, um, please proceed with your testimony.
3: Thank you, Senator. Chairman Van Hollen, Ranking Member Ricketts, uh, good morning. I'm honored to appear before you as President Biden's nominee for ambassador to the independent state of Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, and the Republic of Vanuatu. I'm grateful for the confidence shown by the President and Senator Blinken in nominating me, and I'm privileged to represent the United States. If confirmed, I look forward to working with Congress to strengthen our ties with our Pacific neighbors, advance the United States' interest in a free and open, connected, prosperous, resilient, and secure Pacific region. I aim to achieve this by listening to and learning from our Pacific partners and finding a path forward together that celebrates the Pacific way. I want to thank the most important people in my life, my family. Joining me here are my son, Dimitri, my brother, Daniel, my sister, Betsy, and brother-in-law, John. Although my parents are not here, I know they're looking down today with pride. As the youngest of seven children from a long line of public servants, my family inspired me to love this country that has given us and me so much. If not for their love, support, and encouragement, I would not be sitting here today. My passion for international affairs began when I served as a volunteer American Bar Association lawyer in Central Asia and continued as a Foreign Service Officer with USAID. Overseeing USAID's Pacific expansion as the Senior Deputy Assistant Administrator has required a broad-based skill set, which, if confirmed, I will bring to our work in Micronesia. As a Pacific nation, the United States shares much with these proud countries, and World War II bonded us together. I will build upon this legacy. First, I will prioritize the embassy's community's well-being, including for our invaluable local staff, so that we can better support our commitment to the safety and security of US citizens in these islands. Second, we will be very present, leveraging our growing footprint, including the elevated USAID presence and returning Peace Corps volunteers. In Papua New Guinea, together with local and international partners, we will advance the 10-year whole-of-government effort under the US strategy to prevent conflict and promote stability. In Solomon Islands, we will address the legacy of war by shaping the future through improved natural resource stewardship. As our Vanuatu friends know all too well, the Pacific faces increasing natural disasters and rising sea levels. And following President Biden's emphasis on the climate crisis, we will support local climate resilience, adaptation, and biodiversity. Success will depend on the strength, resilience, and vibrancy of our sovereign partners, which appreciate that democratic values, rule of law, and education underpin productive, inclusive, and connected societies. Together with allies and partners, if confirmed, my team and I will help these governments and civil society meet democracy's promises. Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member, thank you again and I look forward to your questions.
0: Thank you, thank you for your your testimony. Uh, Now as we turn to Ms. Dunnigan, um, I'm pleased that we're joined uh, by our friend and colleague and uh, the, the co-chair, uh, with, along with myself, of the uh, Foreign Service Caucus. Um, Senator Sullivan, the floor is yours.
4: Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Ranking mem- Member Ricketts. It is a great pleasure and honor to be here today to introduce you to Robin Dunnigan, the President's nominee to be Ambassador to Georgia. Robin and I have known each other for more than 30 years going back to our days at Georgetown, where we were both in the Masters of Science of Foreign Service program. In fact, at that time, I was dating a beautiful, brilliant woman named Julie. Robin was dating a great guy named Harry. We were all good friends. Julie and I ended up getting married. Best thing that ever happened to me. And Robin and Harry ended up getting married. Best thing that ever happened to Harry. Both Robin and Harry ended up joining the Foreign Service. Our professional careers have intersected over the years and we have all stayed very good friends. Robin joined the Foreign Service in 1992. She has served with Harry in the Foreign Service and I commend the State Department for taking care of a very exceptional couple. Uh, In six different countries, Austria, Vietnam, Turkey, Chile, Cuba, and El Salvador, as well as multiple tours in D.C. In Austria, Robin was charged to affairs and DCM for three years. Mr. Chairman, she has served our nation with honor, distinction, and professionalism. And as you mentioned it, Mr. Chairman, just a few weeks ago before this committee, I noted that the reason you and I co-founded the Senate Foreign Service Officers Caucus was to highlight and promote the integrity, skill, and professionalism of those who have worked so hard, often at significant sacrifice to their families to promote America's foreign policy interests. Robin embodies the type of Foreign Service Officer that you, Mr. Chairman, and I had in mind when we started the caucus. Robin is currently the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Central and Eastern Europe, which includes Ukraine. Her work over the last 18 months, no surprise, has been dominated by helping Ukraine defend itself against the brutal Russian invasion and unprovoked war. It has been a 24-7 effort over at the State Department. As you can imagine, She has been deeply engaged in working with our allies in Central Europe in support of that effort. Other assignments that she has had include three years as Deputy Assistant Secretary in the Bureau of Energy Resources from August 2014 to August 2017. There, she was way ahead of the curve, encouraging European countries to diversify away from Russian energy. Clearly all this experience close to the Russian account is going to serve her and America well in Georgia. In some ways our current problems with Russia started in Georgia back in 2008 when Russia invaded Georgia. We talk a lot about how Russia's invasion of Ukraine was unprecedented and in terms of scale and duration, it has been. But the world got its first taste of what was in store for Russian sovereign neighbors back in 2008 in Georgia. Robin is also an economic officer. She has spent much of her career advocating for U.S. companies and American workers around the globe. In addition to her Georgetown degree, Robin is a distinguished graduate of the National War College, where she earned her Master's of Science in National Security. Mr. Chairman, I can tell you it is very gratifying to be able to induce, introduce Robin Dunnigan this morning, she has done so much important work for our nation. But I'm sure Robin would agree that her most important work has been raising a wonderful family with Harry. Their two children, Andrew and Anna, as well as Harry, are here today. I urge all of my colleagues to strongly support Robin's confirmation. Thank you.
0: Thank you, thank you, Senator Sullivan. Thank you for your your remarks uh, and for being here today. Um, Ms. Dunnigan, the floor is yours. (laughs) Um,
5: Thank you for that kind introduction, Senator Sullivan, and thank you for your tremendous service to the United States as a Senator, a Marine, an Assistant Secretary of State, and many other positions. I would also like to thank you and Senator Van Hollen for your strong support of the Foreign Service, including as co-founders of the Senate Foreign Service Caucus. Chairman Van Hollen, Ranking Member Ricketts, distinguished members of the committee, thank you for this opportunity. I am deeply honored to be President Biden's nominee to serve as U.S. Ambassador to Georgia, and I am grateful for the confidence the President and Secretary Blinken have placed in me. If confirmed, I look forward to working closely with this committee and all members of Congress um, to advance the interests of the United States in Georgia. It's been a privilege to represent the United States as a career Foreign Service officer for more than 30 years. I have promoted US interests across the globe, working to promote Ameri- protect Americans, expand our economic prosperity, and promote and defend the democratic values at the heart of who we are as a country. If confirmed, I will focus on four priorities. First, my highest duty will be to ensure the safety and security of the team working at the US Embassy and of all Americans in Georgia. Second, if confirmed, I will work with the Georgian government and the people of Georgia to help them realize their dream of being firmly integrated with the EU, NATO, and the West. Not only will Euro-Atlantic integration benefit the citizens of Georgia, I deeply believe it is in the US national interest. We want a democratic Georgia firmly integrated with the West, capable of defending its borders, and able to withstand the pressure of Russian malign activities. Georgia has made remarkable progress over the last 30 years, but some concerning developments show there is more to do. Third, I will strengthen bilateral trade and investment including by increasing U.S. exports and opportunities for American companies in Georgia. My final priority will be to advocate for Georgia's sovereignty and territorial integrity as Russia still occupies 20% of its territory. I will work with Georgia and our international partners to hold Russia to its commitments under the 2008 ceasefire agreement and the UN Charter. Finally. I would like to thank and introduce my family, my husband of 30 years, Harry Camion, who is also a Foreign Service Officer, and our children, Andrew and Anna. As our careers have carried us around the world, Andrew and Anna oh, sorry have weathered multiple moves, adapting to new schools, new friends, with remarkable humor and resilience. I am so proud of the young adults they have become. I would not be here today without the love and support of my family and my extended family. My dad, who is a small business owner, and my mom, who is a teacher, taught my siblings and me the value of integrity, honesty, hard work, and kindness, principles I try to live by every day. Mr. Chairman, Ranking Member, thank you, and I look forward to your questions.
0: Thank you, uh, Ms. Dunnigan, and um, thank you, and all of those uh, who have introduced, um, you know, members of the family and loved ones. As, as you said, it is a it's a team effort. So, uh, Mr. Um, um of Illinois, who is appointed by the president, nominated by the president to be ambassador of the Republic of Albania. The floor is yours.
6: Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Chairman Van Hollen, Ranking Member Ricketts. It's a privilege to appear before you today. I am honored to be the nominee for US Ambassador to the Republic of Albania, and I thank President Biden and Secretary Blinken for their confidence in me. I want to begin by recognizing those who have made it possible for me to be here today. First, I want to honor my wife, Trish, for her love, commitment, and support during 30 years of marriage. I want to thank our three sons, Tim, Dan, and Ben, For the sacrifices they have made growing up with frequent moves and the demands of life in the Foreign Service, and my sister Kathy and brother Ken for their steadfast support. Our parents are no longer with us, but their examples of hard work, sacrifice, and lifelong devotion to the Chicago Cubs made us what we are. I am a career Foreign Service officer with over 30 years of experience. From 1992 to 1994, I had the unique opportunity of serving as the first political economic officer assigned to the newly reopened US embassy in Albania, whose citizens rejected decades of communist dictatorship and embraced democracy and freedom. I saw the hope that sprang from people's desire for liberty, to revive the dormant links between our countries and transform expectations for a better future into reality. Fast forward 30 years, Albania's progress as a young democracy is astonishing. Today, Albania plays an active role in supporting US global priorities as a NATO ally and rotating member of the UN Security Council. And in 2022, Albania opened EU accession negotiations. Still, there's a great deal more we can and must do together. If confirmed, I will focus on the following priorities. My primary responsibility will be the welfare and safety of US citizens in Albania. Second, I would continue work with Albanians to strengthen democratic and judicial institutions. President Biden identified fighting corruption and organized crime as part of our national security strategy key tasks in the Western Balkans. Advancing legal and judicial reforms also will advance Albania's EU ambitions. Third, I would build on our defense partnership. My work with the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff has reinforced for me the importance of allies. Iran's cyber attack against Albania in 2022 showed the need to develop a multifaceted approach to investing in allies' defensive infrastructure and training. Finally, I would continue strengthening the business climate. US interests are served by promoting a rules-based, transparent marketplace in Albania. Albania's progress on these objectives advances our own national priorities. If confirmed, I look forward to working with Congress to address these challenges. I would be honored to build on 30 years of hard work in and with Albania. Thank you for considering my nomination. I would be pleased to take your questions.
0: Thank you very much for your your testimony. Thank all of you. Uh, So we'll now begin the the rounds of questioning. Um, And I'm going to start um, with uh, Papua New Guinea um, and the other Pacific Islands uh, to which you've been nominated. Um, Let me me ask you about the Pacific partnership uh, strategy uh, that was uh, outlined by the White House in September uh, 2022. And as you, I'm confident, hope you'll be confirmed as you take on these new responsibilities, How are you going to achieve the goal of ensuring that what we see is the growing geopolitical competition in the region does not undermine the sovereignty and the security of the Pacific Islands and specifically those to which uh, you've been nominated to be our ambassador?
3: Thank you, Senator, very much for that question. Um, I think the growing competition is probably one of our major concerns in the Pacific Islands and ensuring the sovereignty of each of the countries, particularly Papua New Guinea, Solomon Islands, and Vanuatu. Um, I think, first of all, we need to look at what we bring. It doesn't start with the question of the PRC, but what we bring to the table. And that is, we bring um, the advancement of uh, transparency Democratic values, also working with civil societies, but also, as I mentioned in my statement, listening and learning from our Pacific partners under the Pacific Way. Um, I think you know the other part about it is is that we want to ensure that our countries are not into uh, trapped into these predatory economic um, opportunities; that they build the capacity
1: and to the countries. that they meet the is to ensure that we, um in in compliance with what their
2: their development goals are as what their vision is for their development.
0: Uh, thank you, um, and I may come back. To to you for some further questions uh, in a moment, uh, but to uh, Ms. Terrio, um in, in Guyana, as you know, uh, there have been relatively recent discoveries of uh, significant uh, oil reserves. And I know the new president uh, is committed to try to make sure that these are developed um, in a responsible way, a transparent way, and where the proceeds are invested to benefit the people of his country. Uh, but we often hear that as the goal uh, at the outset, uh, and in many countries we've, we've not seen uh, those different uh, goals followed. So what, what can you do as our ambassador uh, to try to help Guyana uh, uh, ensure that there is a responsible development of these reserves? And I also understand the president's uh, committed uh, to try to invest some of the proceeds in renewable energy. If you could just talk about
2: that. Absolutely. Thank you very much for that question. Um, you're, you're absolutely correct that we have seen the quote unquote resource resource curse uh, harm other countries. Um, and I believe that if confirmed, my role would be to provide guidance and support to the, the Ali government, to the, the current Guyanese government, in making sure that they do um, follow very sustainable um, appropriate ways of developing their oil and gas sector. I think that's something that US companies bring to the table. US companies provide quality, reliability, and sustainability. And the Guyanese have shown that um, in because of their newfound oil wealth, they no longer have to always go with the lowest bidder for important infrastructure and other projects. Instead, they can now go to the quality, reliable um, company. And they've shown that in November of 2022, the largest Uh, tender ever awarded in Guyana went to a US consortium, even though that consortium's bid was higher than the other bidders. And that's because they bring um, what Guyana is now looking for to the table. Um, They also bring a robust CSR package, which helps the people of Guyana. So um, I do believe that with their partnership with the United States and with US companies, we can ensure that uh, the resource curse is not going to be an issue for the Guyanese.
0: Thank you. And um, just in my, my remaining time, one of the issues, as you know, in, in Guyana has uh, their neighbor, uh, Venezuela, and uh, the dictator in, in Venezuela, Nicolas Maduro, has made threatening remarks uh, against Guyana uh, over a territorial dispute dating back to the, the 19th century. Uh, can you confirm, just for the record, that um, the Biden administration and you uh, will stand by Guyana uh, in this territorial dispute?
2: Absolutely, Mr. Chairman. We will continue to respect and support the current boundaries of Guyana as laid out in the 1899 Arbitral Award, unless or until a competent legal body like the ICJ decides otherwise, and we really hope for a peaceful resolution to this issue.
0: Thank you. Senator Ricketts.
1: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Well, Mr. Kostalanczyk, I'm sure you know today is opening day for the Cubs. We've got the Brewers at home. So uh, uh, hopefully we start off the season well. On a more somber note, all of you are going to face the challenges the Chinese Communist Party poses. Uh, President Xi has said that essentially he wants to be the world-dominating power by 2049. And I don't think that's in any of our interests uh, anywhere around the world that that's going to be a good thing. Um, Ms. Theriault, I want to talk to you a little bit about the Guyana. You know, obviously, they're a, a democracy and a friend, which is a welcome thing in that part of the in our part of the world that's so close to us. And as we mentioned um, in 2015, Exxon Mobil made a discovery of oil there. And I think that, that on a per capita basis, that only Kuwait has more oil than than Guyana now. And we certainly want to encourage that development in a responsible way. I think you said earlier that American companies provide that reliability. Correct. Um, my understanding is Guyana Shore Base, a private company based in Georgetown, asked the Inter-American Development Bank, IDB, for helping upgrading the Guyanese infrastructure, and IDB proposed $180 million in debt financing um, for the project. Uh, the Biden administration vetoed that, though, and the reasoning is they didn't want to back oil and gas projects, and I think that's short-sighted, given that China has no such restrictions and aggressively signing contracts Uh, to build infrastructure in Guyana and around the world. And certainly, I think we would all agree that we're going to do a better job than that. And, of course, contrast with the administration then provided sanctions relief to Venezuela's authoritarian Maduro regime to boost oil production. Um, What what are your thoughts on the Biden administration's decision to block the IDB, IDB, IDB loan?
2: Thank you very much, Mr. Ranking Member. Um, That decision was made in March 20 of 22. Um, I would say that uh, things have changed significantly since the war on the Ukraine has dragged on, and energy security is a real uh, concern and is a significant issue. Um, What I would do, if confirmed, is to make sure that there is a level playing field for US companies in Guyana. I think that is um, our entree into ensuring that uh, China does not take over this industry. Um, I think it's incredibly important that we remain the preferred partner in Guyana, whether it be the U.S. government for security cooperation or U.S. companies for oil and gas development. Um, That is something that um, I would work diligently to ensure.
1: So do you think blocking the IDB loan was against our strategic interests?
2: Um, Blocking the IDB loan was in line with the current Biden administration, um, their priority to not contribute further to oil and gas development of fossil fuels. Um, I think that because that vote is no longer an issue, um, that we can only move forward and work to ensure that U.S. companies uh, are given a level playing field in in the country.
1: So do you think given, uh, what I hear you saying is because of changing circumstances, you think that the, circum- well, the world's changed since the invasion of Ukraine. Do you think if that were to come up again that the Biden administration should allow that loan to go forward for a US company to develop the resources there?
2: Um, I wouldn't want to speculate on that. Um, I think we'd have to see what the decision would be. Um, Guyana's oil and gas sector is developing very well through uh, private sector uh, investment. And um, I, I can't speculate on what the, the result of that vote would be, sir.
1: Do you know what Guyana's uh, reaction to the decision to block the IDB loan was?
2: Uh, they were they were quite displeased.
1: Do you believe that Guyana views um, the U.S. as an unreliable partner and would turn to China because of that?
2: No, sir. I don't think that's the case. And uh, they've shown time and time again that we are the preferred partner, both the U.S. government and U.S. companies.
1: Great. Um, and maybe we'll have some more uh, uh, time to follow up on some of the other things here as well. But I want to go to Ms. Yastashak, with regard to, again staying on the topic of the CCP and the Solomon Islands. Uh, my understanding is that uh, China signed an agreement with the Solomon Islands with regard to the naval bases there, and this was a surprise to the Biden administration. What would you be able to do with regard to that agreement to be able to make sure that we continue to have a strong relationship with the Solomon Islands? and? And is there a way that we can, that's a five-year agreement is my understanding, is there a way that we can convince the Solomon Islands not to renew that? Because obviously having the Chinese Navy so close to our allies in Australia and to shipping lanes is, a, is certainly a big issue.
3: Thank you, Senator Ricketts, for that question. Um, the, the agreement was signed, and Solomon Islands has, has confirmed and has stated that they are not going to be locating uh, PRC bases in the country. But what we will be doing is providing additional security assistance through different ways. We have a shipwriter agreement with the Solomon Islands. We're looking at providing additional um, security capacity building. Um, which we think is more sustainable and will ensure the sovereignty of the country, rather than relying on foreign um, forces. So I think that there's a lot of discussion, and I am committed, if confirmed, to continue that discussion to ensure the safety of uh, the region, but also um, ensuring that uh, we become the partner of choice as well.
1: Thank you.
0: Thank you. uh, Senator Kane.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chair, and congratulations to each of the nominees. You have very, very stellar backgrounds and are well positioned to serve in the positions for which you've been nominated. Ms. Therio, am I pronouncing it right? Therio,
2: uh, sir, it's Terio.
7: Terio, Ms. Terio, I want to follow up on Senator Ricketts' points about the IDB loan because I had a chance to meet with President Ali last July, a few months after the US had blocked their efforts to receive uh, funding for energy sector improvements. And it it, it is putting it mildly to say they were displeased. They were incredibly disappointed by this. And, um, And I've had similar discussions with other leaders in the region, Suriname, Trinidad and Tobago, who have energy resources, but they feel like the United States is standing in the way of them developing their own energy resources and stopping them from developing their own economies. And the the point that President Ali made to me and others have as well is, okay, you you say you're an ally, you should want us to be able to develop our economy just like you've developed yours. Yes, that's true. Uh, You say that you want to help uh, nations wean themselves away from over-reliance on petro-dictators like Venezuela or. Russia or Iran or Saudi Arabia and have more uh, uh, available energy to backstop if they move away from petrodictators. Yes, that's American policy. You're blocking us then from doing those things, developing our own economy and creating a resource that can help people move away from reliance on petrodictators. But you're blocking us in a foolish way because we can go to China and get these investments and, and without the strings attached. I understand and share the administration's priority in battling climate change, but I, as I've said at this committee before, there are sort of three goals right now that can be somewhat contradictory. Battling climate change, helping our allies develop their economies, helping people wean themselves away from overdependence on petro-dictators, and they can be in conflict, but what I've yet to hear from the administration is is kind of how do we harmonize these things. Instead, it feels like there's a tug war in the White House between the, we gotta help people wean themselves away from over-reliance on dictators versus we gotta be against fossil fuel projects anywhere. And it's it's taking allies that are good allies and pushing them away from us. I, I think there is a strategy that could be articulated by the administration that's probably a, a phasing strategy that. Here we are during this this war, and it's it's imposing significant challenges for nations that have relied on petro-dictators. We need to have a strategy that can, at, at time, move nations away. We do want to help uh, allied nations develop their economies, be a partner in that. We don't want them to go to China to get resources when there are resources that are available that we can provide them with. I think I think there's a phasing strategy on this, and this is not... For you, but I'm just saying it because I hope somebody from the State Department or the administration is listening, you still haven't come to Congress and explained these competing priorities and how you intend to manage them and phase them. But the cost so far has been to take nations that are allies of ours and, and make them angry with us and, and push them to uh, over reliance possibly on China which is not a smart move long-term. So I just want to put that on the record. Let me ask you this. The Caribbean region can tend to be overlooked. We do recognize that the Caribbean Basin Security Initiative, it's a bipartisan success. It's regionalized a cooperation, demonstrated that the U.S. is remaining a partner of choice in the Caribbean. Senator Rubio and I have introduced the authorizing legislation for CBSI earlier this month, companion bill on the House side by Representative Espaillat, If confirmed, how will you continue to encourage Guyana to fully implement provisions of the Inter American Convention Against Corruption and increase resourcing for critically important law enforcement and judicial institutions?
2: Thank you very much for that question, Senator Kane. I am well aware of your and Senator Rubio's legislation, and um, I think it is very much needed. It's going to expand and enhance CBSI. Um, I think what's important to to bear in mind is that um, most of the security issues that Guyana faces are replicated throughout the Caribbean, Uh, whether it be the need to enhance citizen security to counter the influx of weapons coming into the region, to counter narcotics trafficking, to bolster climate resilience, to combat corruption, as you just mentioned. Um, Those are all problems that exist throughout the region, and a regional problem needs a regional solution, and that's exactly what CBSI is, and we've been doing it for 10 plus years, so we have that expertise. Um, I'm also very pleased to see Guyana becoming more actively engaged with some of the other um, multilateral and regional security organizations like CARICOM Impacts, including the Crime Gun Intelligence Unit, which we assist, um, and also RSS. They're also working more with other regional part, other um, partners. Uh, bilateral partners, including um, our European colleagues who bring other expertise to bear. So I think this is exactly the right approach to address these issues. And if confirmed, I would uh, work to harmonize these efforts and also to uh, implement all aspects of the legislation that would allow for greater security in both Guyana and the greater Caribbean.
7: Thank you, Mr. Chair.
0: Thank you, Senator Kane. Um, So Ms. Dunnegan, some questions on on Georgia. I'm sure you've been following the protests uh, there earlier this month over the so-called Foreign Agents Bill. And while the Georgian parliament ultimately dropped the bill after a massive uh, public outcry, uh, this still signals a worrying trend, not just in Georgia, but other uh, countries around the world in terms of legislative and other crackdowns on NGOs and civil Society, And I know in the eyes of a lot of the protesters uh, in Georgia, it appeared to be an example of undue uh, Russian influence. If you could just talk a little bit about your perception of Russian influence uh, in the Georgian political system today. Obviously, they're a neighbor. uh, But where that stands, because we've been watching that closely. And, of course, the the EU has also been watching it uh, closely. ...has expressed concerns about the state of democracy in Georgia, and it's one of the reasons they've deferred EU candidate status. So if you could just talk about that set of issues. Uh,
5: Thank you very much, Mr. Chairman, for the question. Um, I I did follow the protests in Georgia uh, over the foreign agents law, and I think it's very, I think they were reflective of the Georgian people's desire to have their future firmly integrated with the West and the EU. We see this over and over again, the Georgian people of Georgia's commitment to this path. And I think it's in our national interest to continue to support them in this path. I do believe that Russia is um, implementing malign activities in Georgia, including disinformation. And that is having an impact on the country. It's why I think our assistance to help them implement their democratic reforms is so essential. The EU has laid out 12 reforms that Georgia needs to implement in order to obtain EU candidate status. And if confirmed, I would work closely with the government to support them in implementing those reforms. And I share your concern, Senator. And if I were confirmed, I'd look forward to staying in close touch on this issue, because I think it's an essential essential issue for the region and in Georgia. Thank
0: well, thank you. You mentioned um, disinformation and disinformation campaigns. One of those is um, uh, the effort by a lot of Russian propagandists to suggest that uh, the United States is trying to draw uh, Georgia um, into uh, Russia's uh, war in, in, in Ukraine, which of course is not true. So thank you for your, your efforts that you're gonna undertake there. Um, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, in uh, I was in the Munich conference um, not too long ago. Uh, Senator Shaheen and I met with uh, Prime Minister Rama. Uh, you mentioned in your opening statement um, the issue that he focused 75% of his time on, uh, which is um, his really uh, desperate need for the United States to support Albania's efforts to counter cyber attacks uh, that have taken place against uh, their infrastructure. I don't need to revisit the history of of how we got to this point, but uh, can you just emphasize how you will work with Albania to meet their concerns and help provide the resources necessary to protect them from these attacks?
6: Uh, Thank you for the question, Senator. Um, Yes, those attacks were malicious and did a great deal of damage um, to Albania. Um, I've been uh, proud of the fact that uh, since that time, not only the United States, but together um, with partners from the European Union, um, NATO, um, and other countries in the world, we've brought experts um, to Albania to help them to begin to mitigate, to repair, the damage that was done, and to reinforce and to build a stronger, more resilient um, cyber system um, across sectors um, in Albania. The United States has uh, committed uh, $50 million um, in assistance um, to help Albania at this point, And our cooperation with them will continue um, in both the civilian and defense sectors to ensure that Albania can meet um, uh, future threats and challenges that come not just uh, potentially from Iran but from other malign actors in the cyber sphere
0: Well, thank you uh, because it was the issue uh, that that he focused on during the meeting. Um, we also talked about the open Balkan initiative, um, and the Prime Minister was um, uh, very positive about uh, that as an alternative way to achieve economic um, development in the region as they as they continue to press for EU membership. Uh, Finally, um, as you know, uh, Albania has hosted a number of Afghan refugees, Uh, and if confirmed, can you assure uh, this committee uh, that you will help provide Albania the support they need to continue in that effort?
6: Thank you, Senator. Um, Yes, I will assure the committee, and I pledge that um, I will do all that I can, um, together with the Albanian government, with the uh, other parts of the US interagency that are involved with the processing of uh, Afghan um, SIVs um, through um, Albania, which has been a gracious host um, since the summer of 2021 to Afghans uh, looking for a new home. we will work um, with the Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, um, and within the State Department to expedite the processing of those persons in Albania as quickly as possible. Thank you. Senator Ricketts.
1: Great, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, uh, Dunnigan, I want to go back to what we were talking about uh, previously with George and Dream, and um, uh, of course the influence of Bezina Ivana Chavili. Am I getting that name really kind of Paul Park in the area, and um, I was wondering so what can you get more specific about what we can we do to combat the influence of what's going on there with regard to the, the what the Russians are trying to do to pull them Georgia closer to their sphere of influence
5: Thank you Senator. It really is a critical question, and I deeply believe that our support to continue Georgia on this path to build its democratic institutions, to strengthen its independent media, to strengthen its judiciary, that these are all of the sorts of steps that help strengthen a society and make it more resilient to Russian malign activities, or malign activities by the PRC. The work we do with Georgia in terms of security cooperation and economic cooperation, trying to integrate Georgia with the West through a middle corridor, through energy infrastructure and um, transport infrastructure, these are all of the steps that really do help cement Georgia's future with the West. And if confirmed, I would continue to make this a priority because I think it is essential.
1: Do we need to take a harder line against some of these anti-democratic forces in Georgia?
5: Thank you. I I believe it is imperative that we are frank with the Georgian government about concerning steps that we have seen, and I would continue to be frank with the government if confirmed. Um, And so that is a conversation that I know we are having with the government now, and I would continue to have.
1: Thank you. And Mr. Koscielacek, just um, how do you assess our cyber cooperation with Albania right now? Is there more that we need to do?
6: Thank you, Senator, for the question. Um, At the moment, um, we have uh, marshaled um, resources from the Department of Defense, um, from uh, civilian um, sources, um, and um, from the US government to provide um, as much expertise and help Uh, training um, to Albanians um, as they um, build out um, protections um, against future cyber attacks. Uh, We're working very closely with the Albanian government um, and I'm heartened as well by the uh, help and assistance that is rendered by um, European partners, um, by others from around the world, um, as well as NATO um, through its uh, Cyber Excellence Center. So there are a number of resources that are being applied to the challenge right now. Um, If confirmed, um, I pledge to you that um, we will continue those efforts. Um, They're important um, to uh, securing uh, Albania's Cybersecurity, um, and as a nato ally um, that has uh, great importance for us as well too so do you assess that albania is satisfied with our efforts um, i believe they're looking for us to continue to uh, commit to do more um, i will pledge to do all that i can um, knowing that uh, there are uh, partners, uh, besides the United States, um, that also have significant expertise and experience that are ready to provide that. Uh, Working all together, um, we hope that we can address Albania's needs. Great. Thank you. Mr. Chairman.
0: Uh, Thank you, uh, Senator Ricketts. Um, And Senator Duckworth um, apparently is on the way, has some questions. in the meantime, I, I will follow up with a few questions, and Senator Ricketts, if you'd like to as well, uh, please feel free to do so. Um, I, I do want to um, mention uh, that uh, just today, uh, the UN General Assembly adopted a, a resolution uh, led by, by Vanuatu uh, that calls upon the IJ the International Court of Justice to develop an advisory opinion clarifying the obligations of states to protect rights of future generations from adverse climate change, Uh, which does bring me, uh, Ms. Uh, Yastashak, to a question that I I did want to follow up with you on Uh, regarding uh, the issue of the rainforests um, in Papua New Guinea. Obviously, all these countries are directly threatened uh, by rising sea levels uh, and climate change. Uh, In the case of Papua New Guinea, they're also home to 13% of the world's rainforests. And I know that USAID has been working uh, with them uh, to try to develop plans to... Uh, create alternatives to the current practice, which is cl- cutting down a lot of the rainforests. Uh, but uh, all of us know that uh, that you know this is a race against time. Uh, so I am interested in your your thoughts on how we can help the people of uh, uh, of uh, Papua New Guinea when it comes to uh, making sure that their people can have a livelihood, and at the same time. Uh, make sure that we can protect uh, the rainforests, which would, of course, be in their interest and the interest of the entire world when it comes to climate change and sea level rise.
3: Thank you, Senator, for that question. Uh, yes, Papua New Guinea is rich in biodiversity, and uh, the rainforest is and tropical forests are one of the areas that USAID has been working on. We've entered into a bilateral agreement with Papua New Guinea on on biodiversity adaptation, as well as conservation efforts. Um, Looking at where we've worked in other areas, we have adopted a number of livelihood programs that ensure the safe um, use and the resources of the uh, rainforest, and while also preserving the livelihoods of the people. So if confirmed, I will continue that work and build upon it so that we are preserving the natural resources of the country.
1: All right,
0: welcome Senator Duckworth, and um, the floor is yours. Uh,
8: thank you, Senator Van Hollen.
0: And let me let me also say um, the gavel is gonna be yours because I do have to run to another meeting uh, momentarily. I wanna thank and congratulate again all of the witnesses uh, for your nominations. Um, I certainly look forward to supporting uh, each of your, your nominations to be ambassadors. Thank you for your service, Senator Ricketts. Uh, after Senator Duckworth goes, you've, you're of course free to continue asking questions, but um, let me turn it over to Senator
8: Duckworth. Wonderful, thank you. Um, it's opening day, by the way. Uh, uh, oh, us cubbies are super excited Um, Ms. Yashitok, did I pronounce that correctly? Uh, Thank you for your statement today and for your lifelong dedication to public service. Obviously, there is a significant concern about the growing PRC influence in the Pacific Islands region, particularly since the announcement of a security partnership between the PRC and the Solomon Islands. Uh, As you know, this committee has recently authorized additional diplomatic resources to be devoted to the region as a signal of our dedication and commitment, and I've been a strong supporter of those efforts. That said, my own regular travels through the Indo-Pacific have reinforced my belief that our engagement with regional partners cannot be built primarily or solely around our strategic competition with the PRC. Rather, I believe that we need to meet our partners where they are and to figure out how we work together to meet their needs as well as our own. We also need to figure out how to leverage our closest regional partners such as Australia and New Zealand in these efforts. What do you see as the key challenges for the United States in our efforts to bring the Pacific Island countries into closer partnership with the United States? And if confirmed, how would you work to address those challenges in Papua New Guinea, the Solomon Islands, and Vanuatu?
3: Thank you, Senator. Um, I think one of the things that you put your finger on is that we need to be there, increasing our presence. um, Through our diplomatic efforts, we're elevating um, USAID's presence in Papua New Guinea to establish a country representative office, bringing back the the Peace Corps. Having our presence there is, is part of addressing that issue. I think the other part that we need to focus on is really building the capacity of each of the countries. Mm -hmm. Um, Our difference in the model that we bring as compared to others in the region as the PRC is to really work with our partners, listening to them, learning from them, understanding what their needs are, and building their capacity. And we do that in in conjunction and cooperation with our allied, like-minded partners of Australia, Um, New Zealand, Japan. Um, We could see that in some of the programs that we're already working on, for instance, in Papua New Guinea, on the electrification program, which is a joint effort between Papua New Guinea, US, Australia, New Zealand, and Japan. Mm -hmm. And so that's what is our difference. That's what we bring, is to make sure that our partners have the capacity to able to make those decisions and and decide their own paths forward.
8: Thank you. I, I think there's also, um, you know, in addition to electrification, also healthcare opportunities there to do some joint some joint missions as well. Um, my colleagues here have heard me speak time and again about my interest in elevating U.S.-ASEAN uh, uh, relationship, which was bolstered last year by a special summit in May. As you know, last year the Biden administration also hosted the first ever U.S. Pacific Island Country Summit here in D.C. in September. What role do you see ASEAN playing in the Pacific? Um, especially a year like this year, when Indonesia is, is the chair of ASEAN. Should we be doing more to encourage ASEAN or its members, particularly in the major maritime states like Indonesia and the Philippines, to engage regionally with the Pacific Island nations?
3: Well, thank you again. I I do agree that ASEAN could play a major role with building capacity of the Pacific Islands. They have a lot to offer as far as issues on IU fishing, how to patrol, how to ensure um, and and work on trafficking in persons, and also, as you mentioned, on health care. Um, to be able to detect and prevent um, transnational threats through diseases, so I do think that there's a lot of synergy that can be um, between the ASEAN countries as well as the as the Pacific Islands.
8: Thank you. I'm going to switch gears a little bit and 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 look to um, <clears throat> Ukraine and, and Russia's invasion. Uh, you know, it's impacted every country in the world, none more so than the states that were formerly Russian. Uh, under uh, under Russian domination within the Soviet Union. While many of their Eastern Bloc allies are some of the fiercest advocates for Ukraine, others have hesitated to be too far off sides with Russia for various reasons. Um, Mr. Kosolanchik and Ms. Dunnegan, for Albania and Georgia respectively, can each of you speak to how those countries have been managing their responses to the war in Ukraine since the invasion last year and identify some of your early priorities for engagement in this area if confirmed?
5: uh thank you senator i you georgians the georgian people overwhelmingly support ukraine in this war and you- The Georgians have taken important steps to support Ukraine. They've sent some critical energy equipment to help repair the energy grid that Russia has damaged when they started targeting civilian infrastructure. They've welcomed thousands of Ukrainian refugees into Georgia. They've also welcomed um, many Russian dissidents and activists and journalists who fled Russia during the war. Um, Unfortunately, Georgia knows all too well the threat that Ukraine is experiencing since Russia has occupied Georgia since 2008. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I'm confirmed, I will continue to work closely with the Georgian government and support their own sovereignty and territorial integrity and help hold Russia accountable to its commitments under the 2008 ceasefire agreement and under the UN Charter in the same way we're trying to do with Russia in relation to Ukraine.
8: Thank you, Mr. Kosolanchuk.
5: Thank you
6: for this question, Senator. Um, Albania, as a NATO ally, uh, has since the beginning of the conflict Uh, Russia's illegal uh, invasion of Ukraine, offered material and uh, non-lethal and lethal assistance uh, to Ukraine. Um, It has sent its forces um, to reinforce NATO reinforcements um, in frontline states um, as a way of signaling uh, to Moscow um, our strength as a NATO alliance uh, that Albania is proudly part of. Um, And quite significantly, um, as um, a rotating member of the UN Security Council, and the co-pen holder with the United States on resolutions dealing with Russia's uh, illegal invasion of Ukraine. Albania has been enormously helpful um, to our diplomatic efforts um, there uh, in New York and throughout the world um, in bringing attention um, uh, to support Ukraine um, and to condemn Russia.
8: Thank you. Um, Senator Ricketts, did you um, have further questions?
1: Yeah, I just have. Uh, I just wanted to do a quick follow-up with Ms. Dunnigan. So you we were just talking about Georgia's response to the invasion in Ukraine, and, and of course they initially condemned it as unacceptable, and provided, as you mentioned, some of the resources there. But they they haven't imposed any sanctions on Russia, and there's concerns that Georgian businesses are being used to evade some of the sanctions we have put on Russia. Can you just talk a little bit? How do you see again, you would think that the Georgians, as you said, were overwhelmingly supportive of Ukraine. They've, you know, uh, obviously they're very close regionally and there's a lot of cultural ties there, but it seems like the between Kyiv and Tbilisi, there's tension and how, so how do you see the Georgian government's reaction of not being um, more helpful to Ukraine and less, you know, more condemning of Russia. And do you, th- do you think that we need to do more with regard to the sanctions? And are the, you know, do you think Georgian businesses are helping to avoid the sanctions? I mean, just tell me how you think the Georgian government thinks about this. And what about uh, Georgian companies uh, helping to evade the sanctions?
5: Thank you Senator on the sanctions question it is absolutely a priority um, of the United States to ensure sanctions compliance and implementation or compliance if you haven't if you haven't signed on to the sanctions yourself um, and we are having that conversation directly with the Georgian government, with the National Bank of Georgia, with the private sector of Georgia, and with the financial sector of Georgia. And the Georgian government wants to comply with these sanctions, they've told us. And they've actually asked us for some more training to help them with implementation to ensure there isn't evasion of sanctions with products going through Georgia. And I absolutely agree with you, Georgia more than You know, Georgia absolutely should understand that we do not want to continue to fund via sanctions evasion Russia's war machine and and its military for future aggression. Um, So that is a conversation that we are having with Georgia. Um, In fact, our special coordinator for sanctions and other agents, interagency officials, will be going to Georgia in the coming months to continue this important dialogue. And if confirmed, I will certainly make this a priority. as far as providing, you know, the the um, providing assistance and what they've done, and why haven't they done more? And it George has also been very important uh, in the international fora, as my colleague mentioned, both in the UN and other multilateral fora like the OSCE, in supporting this, in supporting Ukraine, um, and talking. Passing resolutions that really call out Russia for its aggression. And if I'm confirmed I would continue to work with the government and and help them keep doing that. Thank you. Great. Thank you
1: very much Senator Duckworth.
8: Thank you. This hearing has now come to a close. Thank you to each of you for your service to our nation and your continued willingness to serve on behalf of the American people um, You obviously are not doing this for the glamour or the high pay uh, so you must do this because your heart truly is uh, those of a uh, servant to the people so thank you it's it's a tough job that you're each taking on and I'm so proud to uh, have been able to made it back to 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 ask you questions um, uh, for any members wishing to submit questions for the record the hearing record will remain open until close of business tomorrow Friday March 31st and the uh, committee stands adjourned thank you